with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, here we are to After 9. I'm Eric Allen, your host for today. My host is uh, Sheldon Clare. And uh, he's on his way. He's on his way. He's not here yet. But we're going to have him uh, give us a little history of his family in Prince George. And uh, he's kind of got a lot of information, so I'm not sure. We're not going to get it all today. I may have him on a second time. So we'll have Sheldon. Then we're going to have Peter Ewart come on. He's going to get into, well, we got, uh, after Sheldon, Peter yeah. Ewart's going to come on, and we're going to get into... Uh, well, we got Peter actually oh, Peter's just online, getting himself ready now, yeah. Oh, okay. So so Peter's going to get into uh, corporations and, you know, how much are they paying on f- and for uh, infrastructure in the country. And uh, we got Herb, I think, is on his way, and he's going to get into <laughs> some of these... Uh, Problems that we're running into with inflation and uh, rising insurance rates and okay. housing and that type of thing. So we, we're going to have a full slate. It's just a question whether we can get this who's, plane who's off Who's going to be when and where? Hang on a second. Yeah. Herb, or, uh, yeah, Peter, are you ready to go now? No, apparently not. Okay, okay so, so so Peter's not ready yet, but uh, that's some interesting things. But, but, you know, just to give you a sense... Like we've got some problems in Canada today, and we, and I think part of it is is education. Part of it is uh, mm-hmm. how how people are raised and and what they learn in the family environment, and uh, and also our sort of sense that everything's okay. And uh, so to give you an idea, <clears throat> like I went out yesterday to drive to Upper Fraser. I got a smaller car and. I've, I've, you know, I drove it before, so I know I got lots of gas. And I'm driving along. We took along a picnic lunch, so we got some food. We didn't know whether or not we had uh, radio contact out or telephone contact out in that area. So anyway, we're zippity doo da day, and and on our way back from Upper Fraser, I decided to go on the uh, side road, which goes through and brings you out <laughs> on the hard highway. Well, that's not a problem either because I've done that before, uh, you know, rather than go back over the old uh, road. Anyway, three-quarters of the way down there at the 15-mile sign, the start, car starts acting up, and it's going bang, bang, bang. I'm thinking, good God, I think I think I need new shocks. That's terrible. And then it goes bang, bang, clippity-cloppity-clip, and I'm thinking, Christ, maybe I broke a spring. And then all of a sudden, the light went on. No, that's a flat tire. Oh, so I stop the car and I get out and sure enough I got a flat tire. I didn't. I've never used that jack on that car, mm. but I did know where it was and I got one of those little donut spares. Yeah, oh. which I've been cursing and swearing at <laughs> the car companies for just giving me a small tire instead of a standard spare. Anyway, long story short, I get uh, you know and then of course <clears throat> excuse me in the back of my mind we'd seen two black bears. <clears throat> Both of them had two cubs up to that point, mm-hmm. and one big brown bear standing up on his hind legs looking at it as soon as he heard the car. And I thought, well, here we go, right in the middle of nowhere, phones mm-hmm. that can't phone, out there trying to change a tire. And if I have to walk 15 kilometers to the highway, there's probably 10 bears there mm-hmm. waiting for me. And uh, anyway, uh, I'm just basically saying I wasn't really prepared 
to do that. And I think this is what's happening in our housing market, in our job market, in our economy and things that we we have this blind faith that somehow or other everything is going to turn out okay. But if we don't do some planning, mm-hmm. long-term planning and that, I was listening to the radio on CBC. Some people are having trouble getting food now, but even though they're both working because you know, one's planning for a wedding or was planning for a mm-hmm. wedding. Somebody else wants to go on a trip. You know, uh, we're, everything's out of sync to what it used to be. Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of uh, just a sense that we better get more prepared because I think harder times are coming. Hang on a second. Um, Peter, are you there? Might have to phone him again. Yeah. Okay. You you keep talking. Okay, so we're going to try to get Peter back on the line. So, yeah, I, I don't think that we're prepared for some of these things. And then when it goes sour, we turn around and say, well, the government has to fix it. But the government can't always react that fast. And part of the reason we're in the problems that we're in is because of the government. So we're going to the people who caused the problem to try to fix the problem. But now we want a quick fix because I have to have that by tomorrow. And one of these uh, experts said, as an example, uh, well, a lot of people don't realize that you could skip one uh, house payment, uh, and the bank allows that under you know under dire mm-hmm. circumstances or something. That's all well and good, but if you're in that bad of a situation now, uh, my mind tells me that you skip a house payment, you're just going to spend that money, and the next month you're still in the problem. So. I'm, can I make a suggestion, um, Eric? Or Peter, if you're listening, could you give us a call, please? 250-562-2347. I just called and I got a busy signal, so I suspect your, your phone is still off the hook at this point. So if you could call us, 250-562-2347, and we'll get things going. Thanks. And then, of course, it's a question of, of food and the question of, like, some people... Today, I seen a bunch of them yesterday out in the bush picking berries. And what they do with those berries is they can them, and uh, they, so they got some food for the winter. This is over and above the normal supply. We now have a bunch of people that are, are growing food in their front yards because they don't have a backyard. And we have a lot of people uh, with gardens in their backyard. This used to be standard procedure at one time. You bought a house that was small enough. You had property uh, where you could put in a garden and everything, and... You know, that's just was sort of standard procedure. Now, if it's not in the fridge, you, you might go hungry. So I think we need some serious changes in how we do things and, and how people understand that there isn't always somebody who's going to be able to come to your aid and give you uh, money and food because you ran out. We're getting along there with uh, Peter, so... Are you ready to go now? Okay, hang on. Okay, we got Peter coming on now. Okay, Peter, you on there? Yes. Good. Yeah, we had kind of some trouble getting a hold of you there. So you want to get into this uh, corporations and their responsibility for, uh, or at least pay, paying what you perceive to be their fair share of infrastructure costs? Right, right. Okay, yeah. maybe, maybe Peter, I'll just let you get into it and give us a, an outline on it, and then we'll. Uh, I'm waiting for uh, Sheldon to get here. He's running late, but anyway, we'll get back to it. But give us the overview first. Herb's online, so he's listening or on the phone, so he's radio. He's listening to it, and uh, so go ahead. Right. 
Well, these days there's a lot of talk about uh, investment in uh, infrastructure, you know, like whether that's in Canada, the U.S., and elsewhere. And it's true to have a modern economy, you need modern infrastructure. And by infrastructure, I'm referring to um, there's a physical infrastructure, you know, such as roads, uh, water systems, bridges, sewers, airports, railways, and so on, right? But there's also social infrastructure, which is education facilities, research facilities, hospital and health uh, institutions, and social services, government services, and so on. And the question, but the question arises about okay, the need for this modern infrastructure is uh, the question arises: who pays for this, or who, or who should pay for it? As it stands right now, a very large amount of this. Uh, is paid for from the public purse through uh, public-private partnerships and, and outright infrastructure grants. A lot to the big corporations, right, who uh, do very well and who basically control things from all the way. You know, they're not really public-private partnerships. They're, they're publics. Uh, it's a situation where the public is serving the private interests. Ordinary people... Uh, are, are paying for the, this in taxes and all sorts of other ways, but have very little or no say about where these things go and and uh, what this infrastructure is about. So, you know, like when you look at an, an industry like uh, LNG and oil and gas, uh, you know, are they paying what they should? And um, many would say no. And I, of course, I, I don't just confine it to the oil and gas LNG industry. Because even as it applies to the you know, so-called green industry, you know, where you have all these massive handouts and P3s that are uh, given by uh, or provided by uh, governments and so on. So when you look at this situation, you, you really begin to wonder, like we have tremendous natural resources, we have trained workforces, we already have existing in, in infrastructure, why do we have to have uh, projects that are um, infrastructure projects that are basically under the thumb of, of big corporations, many of which are foreign corporations, and uh, who, you know, many would argue are paying way too little for the, the infrastructure that's needed. You know, and for example, you look at, um, you know, the, what gas and the LNG uh, industry gets in terms of um, huge write-offs, tax credits, royalty credits, tax deferrals, handouts of various kinds. They get discounted hydroelectricity. You know, they pay half the residential rate. You know, and um, they don't they don't pay the, they don't pay for a lot of the infrastructure usage that uh, that they uh, that they use. So uh, you have a situation where whereby uh, billions are being put forward, you know, for, you know, relatively small amount of jobs and, and, and so on. And oftentimes we're, like in the oil and gas industry, we're, we're left with abandoned wells. As Mark Lee from the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives has written, he, he says, uh, B.C. has basically handed the keys to its gas reserves for a handful of jobs and a small amount of future revenue. So... Um, we have this situation, this, this current model of um, globalized uh, development, 
which basically leaves the people out in the cold and uh, these big corporations uh, with, uh, in the driver's seat. And we need, uh, you know, in my opinion, we need uh, a new model which puts the people in control. Yes, you can have participation by the, the, the global uh, uh, corporations and so on, but they should not be in the decision-making uh, position in that regard. And furthermore, they should pay their, their, uh, their fair share in terms of um, the infrastructure costs. So this is a big issue. It's a big issue not only in Canada, but it's all over the world. You know, we, we need new models of global development rather than this uh, current model of globalization, which is highly volatile, um, creates a situation where people have no, no control over um, what these big corporations are doing, and the benefits and all this are, are going. Like in many cases, um, these uh, big corporations are uh, backed by banks and uh, foreign institutions, financial institutions, and re revenue just gets scooped up and leaves the country rather than uh, being used to um, for a nation for a nation building project of our own. Okay, Peter, that's uh, <clears throat> you know that, that's the opening uh, salvo on that particular issue. And now uh, Sheldon's here, so I'm going to go to Sheldon and get. Uh, we're going to go to a break. Then we're going to go to Sheldon and. Uh, so you hang in there, then after Sheldon's done, I'll get you and Herb on there and we'll get back onto these two issues. Okay? Find out what's happening in and around Prince George for the latest community events and happenings. Tune in to After 9 weekday mornings at 9 o'clock on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Your host for the day will interview everybody from local politicians to cultural contributors and a whole lot more. Stay in the know with After 9, weekday mornings at 9 o'clock, only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. If you miss the live broadcast, catch the repeats every Sunday to Thursday night at 10. If you have dietary restrictions due to diabetes, gluten sensitivity, or stroke, or are on a keto diet, listen carefully. Deb's Cafe has blueberry pie, coconut cream pie, butter tarts, butter pecan cookies, strawberry cheesecake, brownies, carrot cake, cinnamon rolls, and many more items which are suitable for your special dietary needs and which our customers assure us are delicious. Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery, next to Pharmasafe at 7th and Quebec. If you are affected by dementia, you are not alone. The Alzheimer's Society of BC offers in-person and virtual support groups for caregivers and people living with early symptoms of dementia. Learn, laugh, and help others through mutual understanding. For a listing of upcoming support group meetings or more information, visit alzbc.org. Registration is also available through the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. In-person and virtual support groups from the Alzheimer's Society of BC. Forecast from Environment Canada, sunny today, a high of 23 with a high UV index. Clear tonight with a low of 7, sunny again on Tuesday with a high of 26. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back and uh, we now have our guest Sheldon Clare. And I'm going to get Sheldon to give us a history of when his family came to Prince George and... Uh, what they basically were involved in, you know, to get to where they are today. And I'm kind of, that's going to kind of be the theme of my program over time. Like I want to get 
a lot of the older families and their history, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, out on Pine View, which there's going to be some issues coming there in the future, and, uh, uh, you know, whether it's down in the Mud River or whether it's out in the Hart Highway or whatever. But anyway, my, my position is that the, this country was built by hard work, long hours, and uh, it didn't just come overnight by uh, some form of osmosis or something. So uh, we have a lot of uh, history of hard work and people, and I think that they should be uh, getting kudos for that. It's not as if uh, they didn't do anything. They, they basically did everything to get us to this point. So do you want to just give us the family part of it, Sheldon, to oh, get started? Sure, Eric. Good morning. It's great to be here. Well... The Clares came to Prince George with my grandfather in 1930. He was a great war veteran in the Canadian Engineers and moved here uh, for work. Work was becoming in short supply in Alberta. He was a farmer out there. He was also fairly trades-oriented. He could make and fix anything. He was a farrier. He looked after horses in the war. He was a blacksmith, a cobbler, and he came here to work for the railroad. Uh, fixing boilers on the on the big trains, so he worked in the in the yards, did all of that. We still have a dustpan, I think, out of the, the family cabin at West Lake that Grandpa made. That if he hit you, if you got hit over the head with it, you'd probably break your skull. It's a, <laughs> he, he, nothing he did was in half measures. So uh, yeah, he brought the family here in 1930. My dad was born in 1929, so he was just one at the time. They came from Big Valley, Alberta. Grandpa had done other things too, painted the High River Bridge a few times apparently to make money to help support the farm. But he came out here for work and they lived in the cache, not the island cache, but the cache. There's two places. The cache was where the railroad families lived and the island cache was where the, as they said, the poor folk lived. And it was separated by a little creek and a bridge and I don't think there was much difference other than that. And, uh, Grandma used to make hot cross buns, uh, Little little uh, Hilliard would deliver them to uh, to folks that uh, liked them, and it was it was good fun. Uh, he uh, went to school locally. He went to King George V Elementary, as, as did I, and then Baron Bing, and uh, graduated from high school. Wanted to be a lawyer, but he ended up getting a job at this uh, hardware store in town, the Northern Hardware and Furniture Company. I'm actually wearing one of the t-shirts today. And he uh, studied under a fellow named, uh, I think, Thompson Ogg, who is the accountant for the store. He, he often would talk about carrying kegs of nails up, uh, up and down the, the stairs from the delivery truck and then out to somebody's uh, buggy or, or, or vehicle. And all the cakes of nails seemed to be much heavier back in his day than they were when I was carrying them. But uh, there were all those sorts of things. He, he worked hard. He was involved with the JCs. He uh, spearheaded a project to get bearskins for the bearskin hats worn by the various uh, Grenadier Guards units in England. They were short of bearskins. They didn't use synthetics or anything in those days. So he uh, spearheaded this project, and the JCs managed to uh, get hunters to find hundreds of hides for bears. And uh, they, in return, were given a few of these bearskin hats, which they proudly wore in their parades. Dad was also quite active in the Freemasons. They actually named the local uh, Freemasons Hall after him before he passed away. Uh, uh, Mum was involved, of course, in the hospital board for a number of years in the 1980s during those controversial times when you could have uh, 
the, the, the Roman Catholic Church and the and the local Orange Lodge show up <laughs> and debate about all sorts of uh, salient issues, which have come to the forefront again with the decisions in the United States. Uh, that was that was always a a thing, and uh, that so. You know, we we saw quite a bit of growth, I think, over the through the 1960s. Eric, you would have experienced a lot of this as well. And with the coming of the uh, railroad, of course, way back before that, the the arrival of the pulp mills in the 1960s was a huge thing. Uh, people like Ben Ginter uh, going around building roads, building the grounds for those pulp mills, and generally uh, stirring things up in the north and, and elsewhere too. We saw a, a tremendous amount of growth. Dad had a number of interesting things he'd participated in in his life. Uh, one of them was he drove a young lawyer named uh, John Diefenbaker out to uh, uh, through back roads and, and really rough places to a place where there was a trial going on about a trainman and and, and uh, the loss of a number of soldiers on their way to the Korean War it happened out in Valmont. And, and he was involved in driving Diefenbaker out to, to get to these things. Actually, just uh, if I could just interject there for a second, I remember that uh, the, some of the history of that, and John Diefenbaker was a young lawyer at a time, and he came out and represented that railway employee for nothing, basically. His, his wife made him do it. Very well, could have been. But, <laughs> but in any event, he got it done. And uh, exonerated the kid. Yeah, the kid got off. He wasn't really responsible for it. There was all sorts of circumstances involved. That's right. The, yeah. the railway had been negligent with uh, with shift lengths and a whole bunch of other issues around the, how the uh, switching happened and the lack of communications. There were a number of factors, and yeah. and it really made Diefenbaker's name. It certainly did. At yeah. Which which made him. A, uh, a good choice to become Deep the Chief, the Prime Minister of Canada, and one of the biggest yeah. conservative sweeps in history. Yeah, okay, well. <clears throat> so, any, anyway, uh, that, that aside, so Dad was active on city council for a number of years. I think he was on for 10 years, and he, he ran against Harold Moffat for city council for the, for the mayor's position. And Harold had been on the school board for a number of years, and so was well known in civic politics. Dad was well known in civic politics, and the difference between them was of, of just a few votes. And uh, Dad always said, he, you know, in losing, he was successful in, in, in that election because some of the things Harold had to, had to put up with after that weren't a lot of fun for him. And, I mean, it was kind of funny uh, running against a fellow you had coffee with every day uh, who, who was a partner at your, at your workplace and, and a good friend who was also quite involved in the Masonic Lodge. Uh, it was, must have been quite a funny time. And I remember being grilled as a child about civic issues. When I was in elementary school, you know, teachers and uh, other kids would ask me questions about what my dad thought about a, ver a various point because of uh, things going on with the city and the, and the boom that was going on at that time. And Prince George was really doing well up until the early '80s, and then it all sort of sort of slowed down. And uh, that the the arrival of C and C in '69 was a big help, of course, uh, but the. Uh, the other big boon was the arrival of the university. That that certainly made a big difference in, in the local growth situation. But we still have not really regained that rate of growth that we had back in the 1960s and 70s with the pulp mills. So, yeah, we've... Uh We've been here a while, seen a lot of changes. My dad likes to say that when he got here, they had they had boardwalk sidewalks, and you know, he he recounts stories of Mounties throwing uh, drunken loggers through the windows of the Columbus. And I go, well, the Columbus doesn't have any windows. And he just smiled. <laughs> 
And of course, the Columbus is now long gone. Has sort of the old those old haunts like the Prince George Hotel and the and the Mac and, and the Canada and all those places that used Astoria. to be Astoria. The, the Astoria, yeah, all these, Europe. Yeah, there's those old, all those old places that made uh, the downtown such a lively and vibrant area for all kinds of but there was vice reasons. Uh, Jimmy James Ice Cream Store and uh, oh yeah, and yeah. The photo of, uh, the other guy that sat in those coffee clutches there was uh, the photo guy, Wally, Wally West. Wally West, yeah. That was the old store is still there, and uh, yeah, and the, the downtown Prince George is still there. It's just that we haven't got it, we haven't got it functioning again. No, the downtown really needs a lot, a, a lot of things to have happen. I mean, the, the fires, of course, brought a lot of people from other communities to Prince George, and that really has contributed to the 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 issue of homelessness that we see down here that is not being dealt with in a very effective way i mean i mean businesses are now being forced to put up grates and 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 gates and fences around their doors i i've got one friend he had a fire started at the back of his business and it burnt up his his gas line it shut him down for a couple of weeks auto repair store uh, I, we put up gates around the, the legion because we were getting you know people defecating and urinating and shooting up on the steps there, and uh, it just it just isn't okay. And no, it, it needs to be stopped. And the, the solutions to that are pr- probably fairly elusive, at, to, certainly to the current city council. They're pretty complicated. But the thing is, you see, and this again gets me back into the situation of old versus new, old thinking versus new thinking situation downtown. Uh, and we need to involve everybody in it, those people that are being affected, those people who want to fix it and see it as a challenge. And I refuse to believe that we can't solve that problem. We're going to go to a break now, and then we'll be back. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing their series of online webinars. Everyone is encouraged to learn more about dementia and its stark impact on Canadians through their website, alzbc.org. While there, you can also register for their free webinars or watch previous presentations. The next webinar is Research Ready, Getting Lost Among Persons Living with Dementia, Wednesday from 2 to 3. The Alzheimer's Society of BC, bringing you support and information for dementia at alzbc.org. The Prince George Council of Seniors is taking reservations for advanced planning clinics coming this fall. If you're 55 plus with low annual income and at least $150,000 and net assets, it's your chance to meet with a pro bono lawyer to have a will, power of attorney, and or representation agreement put in place. To get your name on the intake list for the upcoming clinics, call the Prince George Council of Seniors at 250-564-5888. Tickets are available for Vantage Point's Building Organizational and Sector Sustainability Conference. November 15th and 16th, join not-for-profit leadership peers and stakeholders in conversation and learning around this year's theme, Healthy Sustainable Work. Registration and full details are available at bossvancouver.ca. Vantage Point's Building Organizational and Sector Sustainability Conference, November 15th and 16th. Early bird pricing is available through August 15th. Summer Art Monkeys is back. Studio 2880's popular kids program is Wednesday mornings through July and August with a wide variety of projects to keep your child entertained. Art journaling, clay works, nature art, and artful goop. Each camp is led by a top local artisan. Cost is just $45 per workshop with easy online sign-up at studio2880.com. Summer Art Monkeys, Wednesday mornings from 9 to noon through August 24th at Studio 2880. 
featuring the people who make things happen and Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS FM. <laughs> okay, we're back and we're going to do the second segment with uh, Sheldon Clare. Sheldon's going to get into some of his own history in Prince George and, uh, you know, what he's involved in, what he does, uh, what he hopes, well, maybe not what he hopes to do, but uh, <clears throat> not at this point anyway. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either, Eric. <laughs> you always have plans for people. <laughs> but in any event, uh, yeah, he's got quite a history. And, and from my point of view, it's just you can see what's involved when you start getting involved uh, from just listening to him. And, and we need more of that in this country, not less. So go ahead. Uh, sure. Well, I, I, I should mention I've got... Uh, Two, two younger brothers and a younger sister who are all uh, very successful in what they do. My sister Karen is a, an emergency nurse at the hospital and married to a, a great guy, Joe Crump, and, and they're they're in uh, they're just doing very very well. Uh, and my uh, younger brother Kevin is an aircraft maintenance engineer, fixes helicopters. He's, he's uh, renowned around the world for his abilities there. Uh, my youngest brother Brian, or Skid, as he's affectionately known to his, a lot of his friends, is uh, quite an accomplished uh, tradesman, a journeyman carpenter, was a floor layer, a crane operator. Uh, he's got a great kid, uh, Ronan, who's uh, interested in computers and all of that sort of work. And I, I've got uh, two daughters, uh, Elise and Danielle. And Elise, they're they're uh, both really smart, speak three languages, just really vibrant, active young ladies that I'm very, very proud of. Uh, I uh, grew up here, of course, uh, uh, with uh, seeing the, a lot of the active changes in the city uh, through the through the '60s and '70s and, and '80s and so on. I was in Army Cadets with uh, with your boys, actually, uh, John and, and, and Steve and Nathan. Uh, we all had a great time doing that stuff. I was down at uh, with at Stephen's wedding just recently, as, as were you. We had a great time down there uh, playing the bagpipes. Picked that up at the uh, Legion Pipe Band. I learned from uh, a, a great, great player who just recently passed away, Alan uh, Walters which I was very sad to hear. Uh, we're having a service for him in Calgary on the 10th of September, and I'm probably going to try and get to that. He uh, he taught taught us all very well. I, I am very, very grateful that I had good instruction at such an early age on the Highland Bagpipe. Otherwise, I wouldn't be who I am today, frankly, because of that, the things that that's done for me. Uh, got into Army Cadets, did, did well in that, became a reserve officer teaching Army Cadets, and did that through the 80s. Went to university, uh, did an international relations degree at UBC, and uh, got on teaching for School District 57 as a supply teacher, a substitute. I did that for a few years, and then I got hired at CNC, and I've been there pretty much ever since, just about coming on 30 years time at the College of New Caledonia, which just shocks me. And I've started to discount this time as trips around the sun rather than years. It seems a little easier to swallow. And uh, that's going pretty well. I uh, did a, a graduate degree at Norwich University in Vermont in military history, and uh, I basically have always followed my passions in that regard. I tried to learn new things all the time, and keep up on on that. And it's it's been it's been a great time. And I've uh, I've I've seen Prince George go through some highs. I've seen it go through some lows. We've seen some 
some really solid leadership at different times. And then we've seen the foibles of people interfere with the abilities to get things done and people who've tried to make a difference sometimes fallen short, sometimes exceeded that. Um, and it's it's an interesting place to grow up and live. I I know some people come here and they figure they're gonna they're gonna hang around for a couple of years and then go back to wherever they came from, having made their money, and just be a sojourner. And I as one fellow who did that told me, he says, you know, Sheldon, Prince George has many redeeming qualities, none of which are apparent at first glance. And and I I thought that was an interesting comment from this guy because I, I was out for a walk. Uh, uh, yesterday, and I, I noticed. I said, "This is a green city. It's a very green city, despite our industry, despite our, our traffic and our roads and everything. It's actually reasonably well laid out and designed for for a whole bunch of purposes. And there's a number of promises that were never fulfilled from amalgamation, uh, things like swimming pools and outer areas and so on. But those all carry a tax burden that has to be understood and dealt with as well. And if, you know, you have to make decisions based on those things. And I think city councils over the years have tried to be responsible." with that but yeah it's uh it's been an interesting time for me growing up in prince george and i've traveled a, a lot I, I spoke at the united nations a number of times on the arms trade treaty and the program of action on small arms and light weapons uh i've uh my my former spouse was is a german and we traveled to europe quite extensively uh, made it to africa saw a good bit of the world picked up a bit of uh, linguistic ability i can i can sometimes get by a bit in german and uh my my french is getting pretty rusty but it's uh it's it still comes back when it's needed and i i can thank blaine Rowe at duchess park for uh for doing that I, I i remember when i came back from Morocco, i looked him up and i said you know what i didn't fully appreciate what i was getting when i was going to high school and learning those languages but i want to just say thank you and because uh it it really mattered it made a big difference all that formative stuff you pick up and you don't think you're you're getting value from but you really are so it's it's prince george is a great place to live prince george is a, an amazing community with tons of opportunities and i think anybody would be proud to raise a family here well i'm not going to disagree <clears throat> with you on that part of it but i I have to say it's it's going in the wrong direction now, and things aren't looking good. And it's up to the people of Prince George, you, me, and everybody else, to turn this ship around yep. and start being more positive. And I always think that we like to be number one in what we do. And I think we should be number one in rebuilding communities, rebuilding uh, responsibilities, solving problems. Yep. I refuse to go down the road of I can't do anything about it or we can't do anything about it or nothing can be done about it because that's that excuse the phrase well we can't support mediocrity exactly. right we, we should be yeah. we should be striving for excellence in everything we do and, and and we should be rewarding excellence and we should not be pandering to mediocrity and yeah. and I I think there is a temptation out there to take the easy path rather than the hard path on a lot of issues and I and that may not be politically popular in some circles in some circumstances but it's probably something that uh, politicians need to really think about it's not just about having a, uh, a the spotlight on oneself and being uh, being the great I am or or going to all the cocktail parties and having the hors d'oeuvres it's about actually rolling up one's sleeves and getting the work done yeah and that re are we finished here Okay, pretty close to be finished, but just something Eldon said there, or Sheldon said there. <clears throat> I had an old friend that he used to always say, he was a Ukrainian fellow, I think, and he used to say, 
if you want potatoes, you better get a shovel. Yeah. And uh, really, that's true. If you want potatoes, go out and start digging in a garden and plant them. Don't that's expect I me to bring my potatoes <laughs> over to your house. I exactly planted potatoes this year for partially that reason, because I thought I needed something more to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Thanks, Eric. We're finished with Sheldon. Really appreciate him coming down. And I just want to put it out there now that we have lots more to say, especially on the gun issue and a few other issues. So I'm going to try to get him in for an hour uh, sometime in the near future, and uh, we'll have a bigger go-around. I just kind of short short uh, suited him this time around, which wasn't a good thing. So well, that's okay? all right. Thanks a lot, Eric. Yeah. Great, okay. great being here. Yeah. Opening soon at Two Rivers Gallery, Decolonizing Healthcare, this new exhibition will feature work by CNC and UNBC students of health services, including beating, tufting, drums and rattles, made during workshops created through Emily Carr University. Facilitated by Indigenous artists, the exhibit will be focused around conversations about institutionalized harm and systemic inequity in the healthcare field. Decolonizing Healthcare, starting Friday through August 25th at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. Anyone interested in starting up a local group of the British Columbia Women's Institute is asked to contact Lorraine Doran at 250-596-1518 or by emailing ldoran985 at gmail.com. The purpose of the BC Women's Institute is to promote women's voices and women's fellowships across British Columbia. The BCWI welcomes all women to become members and find community and friendship locally and provincially. More information on the BC Women's Institute is available on their website bcwi.ca Forecast from Environment Canada Sunny today, a high of 23 with a high UV index. Clear tonight with a low of 7. Sunny again on Tuesday with a high of 26. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM Okay, we're back and you're still on there, Peter? Yep, I'm still here. <clears throat> yeah, sorry to have you. They were just a little mixed up here today. We've got Herb in here now, but I just want to finish your segment off, and then we're going to go to Herb and do his, but you guys can get in on either one as we go along. So we got into, uh, you know, your infrastructure and the responsibility of corporations and that are getting uh, uh, infrastructure paid for through tax dollars rather than making a fair contribution. And, and I agree with it to, to some degree, but it's also... Uh, there's all sorts of different things, and I and I think I touched on it before. Like when I was driving down the hard highway, and the uh, the roads are all kind of dipped in from the heavy loads, and we went to uh, nine axle trucks to get a heavier load and save money for the, the trucking companies and not hauling logs from who knows maybe far as away as Fort Nelson or Mackenzie to Prince George to go to specific mills, and so somewhere down the road that that costs us money to fix that infrastructure. And I don't, 
I'm not aware of uh, any corporations other than through their gas tax that are making a contribution to fix those roads. Is that the type of thing you're talking about? Uh, yeah, well, that, that's one example, one, one part of uh, the infrastructure, the usage of the infrastructure. Uh, oftentimes it's not factored in into, uh, in terms of what, uh, um, you, know, the, you know, these big corporations are, are costing, right? You know, like we don't even factor in the fact that, um, you know, the, the, we train and educate, uh, you know, the workforce in a big way, right? Uh, but uh, there's very little that comes back from the corporations relative to uh, the amount that has to be put into that public education, right? Yeah. You know, so, you know, the, those things oftentimes are, are not factored in. And for me, the, the biggest thing is, is the, the control issue. You know, like in terms of who, who controls all this, right? You know, like we have these big projects, but the way things go right now, like government just basically hands over way too much control to them. And, um, you know, many times these corporations are, are based in other countries and uh, have other interests and, uh, and, and so on that are not necessarily consistent with, uh, with what we need, right? So I think we need to, I think we need to think about new models of doing things, right? Where, you know, whereby uh, you have, uh, you know, the democratic people's interests reflected more in terms of what happens in the economy and what happens with these projects. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. It's uh, <clears throat> There's too many things going on, at the, and not only that, but we're, we're not aware of them, and usually not aware of them until they're established fact or, or they're already going to take place, and then we somehow or other rubber stamp them. So, and that's a big issue. So I think we're going to have to keep that one on the table for future meetings, and I think we're going to have to start dissecting it and... Uh, see where these responsibilities lie and of course we the taxpayers citizens we have a responsibility in that area also and you know just a quick aside like i remember years ago when they were putting across the trans canada pipeline that we trained 33,000 or not 33,000 but three or five thousand uh, welders and then once the pipeline was completed we had 3,000 unemployed welders because we didn't need them anymore and this type of thing happens all the time and uh, those people should be looked after and, and maybe multi-trained at the time rather than job-specific trained. Anyway, I want to go to to uh, Herb and get his uh, take on was it the inflation issue. And no, I was going to talk uh, <clears throat> more along corporate lines, uh, uh, the tax um, issues with uh, corporations. Okay, go ahead. Uh, as um, as it uh, impacts. Um, uh, some of these carbon capture schemes that are going on in uh, Alberta. So uh, everyone probably knows by now that the um, uh, Canadian oil companies have done extremely well in the last year. Uh, most of them have doubled profits year over year. Uh, Canadian Natural Resources um, actually is now the fourth most valuable oil and gas producer in all of North, North America. Um, Despite these uh, these uh, these profits, uh, they're asking uh, the oil sands companies, in particular, uh, for uh, uh, increasing tax breaks, which are already at fifty percent for carbon capture and storage uh, facilities that they want to build. <clears throat> so they're um, at, at the present time, they get a fifty percent uh, tax write off. Uh, that's forecasted to. Uh, cost the Canadian taxpayer about $8.5 billion by 2030. Uh, 
the worst part of it is that these uh, carbon capture storage uh, uh, schemes are not particularly effective. Uh, Shell uh, has a carbon capture plant called Quest, and there was a big expose done on that last year. And it wound up, uh, despite costing um, uh, billions of dollars, uh, the um, it actually is emitting more carbon than uh, 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 than original uh, originally speaking. So it's um, it's just throwing good money after bad. We've got a basically a uh, a situation here where uh, corporations are dictating to the government. Uh, what uh, what the future is going to you know entail for for Canada, and it doesn't seem like you know it's, it's just the blind leading the blind at this point. Um, I, I, I would I would think that eight and a half billion dollars in the next uh, eight years could be spent uh, far more uh, productively by uh, perhaps insulating people's houses, uh, by giving rebates on fuel efficient vehicles, by inc- in- subsidizing uh, public transportation. There's a number of things that could be done to help the consumer rather than corporations, which uh, doesn't really seem to be having much effect except to drain the uh, public coffers. Well, just touch on that for a minute. Uh, Did you want to go for a break? If you keep your comments short, we can get them and then go for a break. (laughs) No, I think we'll go for a break, though. (laughs) Prince George Hospice Palliative Care Society has grief support services. Their family grief program supports grieving children, youth, and caregivers through three separate groups. There's one for children ages 6 to 12, one for youth ages 13 to 20, and one for parents and others who care for children. There's also a children's drop-in offered every Tuesday from 3 to 4.30 and one-on-one adult grief support available on the phone or in person. For more information, visit the Hospice Society's website at pga.com hpcs.ca. BC Schizophrenia Society's annual general meeting is Saturday, October 15th. Save the date and take part to support the organization and its efforts to improve education and understanding of schizophrenia and psychosis across the province. Find out more about the Society's board through the board and staff link under About Us or become a member through the Make a Difference menu at bcss.org. The BC Schizophrenia Society AGM, Saturday, October 15th. A reason to hope, the means to cope. The Alzheimer's Society of BC offers online small group information workshops facilitated to provide opportunities for live discussion. Caregivers and people living with dementia are encouraged to take in staying healthy and building resilience in a time of change and uncertainty, Tuesday, August 23rd from 2 to 3.30. Explore self-care tips and strategies to positively manage stress for caregivers and people living with dementia. Sessions are free to attend. For more information or to register, visit alzbc.org slash ed. The Prince George Council of Seniors needs volunteers for their Meals on Wheels program. Volunteers work once a week from about 10.30 to noon delivering hot meals to homebound clients. To help out, you must be double vaccinated for COVID, have a friendly manner, a valid driver's license, and a reliable vehicle. A criminal record check will also be required. Pick up an application form from the Seniors Resource Centre on the corner of 7th and Victoria. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and uh, I think, you know, excuse me, we have to sort of, we have to remember that without business and corporations or something, uh, 
we wouldn't have jobs and it would be we would be in a worse situation than we're in now. So what we we need both, but we also need balance. Now, I'm not really know a lot about uh, these new corporations or whatever, but I do know that the model that we had for years and years and years of the limited company seemed to work well for working people, and it doesn't seem to work too well with the uh, publicly traded companies because, uh, in simplistic terms, it's maximum profit, minimum cost, and one of the way you minimize cost is getting rid of jobs. In fact, usually that's the first priority. And then, then you get into maintenance and other things. So, uh, we need to delve into that at some other time. And, and it's not really for us to do, but we need experts to look at it and see what's happening here. But, you know, the idea that these people make 15, 20 million dollars or billion dollars profit is true. But that money is paid to shareholders and it's gone. It's not there for the next year to be reinvested or done or whatever. So when you want to reduce uh, uh, corporations' costs and uh, and profits, by like you can't do it under that model. That money has to go to the shareholders. So that's what we need to look at down the road and uh, see if we can sort this one out. Peter, do you want to comment on that? Uh, well, yeah, I think I think the the critical thing is that uh, you know the way the you know the, the country and the world is going is way too much power is being handled over to uh, these uh, big corporations uh, who are actually taking over all kinds of uh, state uh, responsibilities. You know, the, the the critical issue for me is like who's making the decisions, and I think you know we have to. We have to go to a situation whereby, regarding resource projects, and I'm not just talking about oil and gas projects or whatever, but also the green projects as well, because the problem of who's making the decisions applies to that as well. You know, right now, like, we just have dictates, you know, from the prime minister's office and from corporate boardrooms in terms of which way the economy is going, and we need, in terms of a new model, we need the one that puts public interest first and public participation first. Uh, and yes, there's a, there's a place for the private interest, but it should not trump the uh, public interest. That's, uh, that's a critical thing. Well, the only reason I say that, that it has to be there is because it creates the jobs to pay the taxes. So, you know, you can't kill the goose that lays the golden eggs. You have to have a way for that goose to produce more eggs and, and serve everybody. So, you know, the profit factor, without the profit factor, you don't have business. People have an incentive to start a business, to make money, and when they do that, they create jobs. And under the old limited company, that's how it worked. And if you made a profit and you didn't... Uh, reinvest it in, in another corporation or, or business and create more jobs, you pay tax on it. And that's why we have more and more businesses expanding and diversifying all the time, because your choice is simple. You either spend it and create more jobs and make more money and or you pay it to the government in taxes. And, and so I think we have to go back to that model and, and get away from this uh, multinational, publicly traded company with all the rights of a of a everyday individual. Herb, what do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, as you said, uh, you know, corporations, uh, if they make a profit, they disperse it in dividends to their shareholders, and they're not, they're not reinvesting. They're, they're no. just giving the money away. So you tend to get uh, people, uh, you know, 
who are bought have bought into this this system, and it's not actually even productive. It's just a way of churning money for wealthy people who own shares. Uh, I don't know what the figures are, but I don't think the majority of Canadians own shares. So if we uh, start looking at um, uh, trying to get money back to the uh, general population at large, uh, instead of funneling it into a few uh, large corporations, then um, uh, we'd be much better off. And, you know, we've got to, you know, again, like Peter said, start start trying to uh, reach the general public more more than, than we've been doing. But, you know, we also have to have, a, you know, we have to open our eyes and widen our horizons, and we have to look at why uh, individual citizens don't have or do certain things. And I can make it as simple as, as possible. Majority of Canadians don't have shares because they don't buy them. It's not, it's not a big mystery. They don't buy them. They don't invest in the company. If they did, they would be get, they would get some of the dividends from these investments, but they don't. And, uh, they want somebody to mail them a check in the mail and, uh, their job is done. But you gotta get your money a revenue source from some place. You know, you know, if you, if your chicken doesn't lay eggs, you don't have eggs for breakfast. And so you better feed the chicken. So we need balance more so than anything. Well, you know, one one balance that we can start looking at is uh, how much Canadians are actually making. The average Canadian salary is about $44,000. That's the average. But in order to do that, people have to be making $90,000 a year or more to get that medium wage. So there's a lot of well-paid people in this country. The ones that are getting it in the air are the guys on 40000 or 50000 and under and still being taxed to pay increases to people who are making a hell of a lot more. So it's a serious problem, and that's the road we need to go down and look at that type of thing and how to make it better and create good. And we need jobs that people are happy to go to work for, not jobs where they go to work and the guy wants to work you 20 hours and send you home because he might have to pay a benefit. He should be happy to pay a benefit to keep the employee. Yeah, Peter? Sorry. You there, Peter, or did I cut you off? Uh, no, no, I'm here. Yeah, we, we're going to go do the round table now, and then we'll be finished. So go ahead and wrap up. Uh, yeah, well, that, that to me is, uh, you know, what it all comes down to is, like, who's making the decisions and in whose interest. And um, we, need, uh, we need to have a lot of discussion about this, right, because... Uh, the way the world is going, it's a very volatile world where all kinds of uh, economic problems and political problems, uh, you know, can and will develop. And in the midst of that, um, we, we need to have our own plan as a, as a country, our own nation-building project, and our, our own way of looking at things in terms of having mechanisms whereby people have more say over what's happening to the economy and, and what, what ways can be used to um, move okay. the economy ahead. Okay, Peter, we're going to give uh, Herb the last word here. Yeah, I'd just like to reiterate what Peter's saying and that uh, we've got to look out for the common man more than the corporations. Uh, $44,000 a year, <clears throat> that's way below what the Americans are making. Uh, it's below what Australians are making. Uh, you know, $15 an hour uh, minimum wage, uh, you know, we should, we're trying to pat ourselves on the back. Australians are already at to over 20, so uh, we can do more. Okay, maybe we can, but we didn't get to be number one by doing it somebody else's way. So <laughs> we'll be back next week. I want to thank everybody for listening, and we're out of here. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. 
After Nine is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair, with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFISFM is owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society.